Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, we thank you for the house of God. We thank you for the worship that brings our heart near to you, Lord. We thank you for the praise that gives you value and appreciation for everything that takes place in our life. Every Sunday, the Lord's Day, which belongs to you, we lift up our hands, we lift up our hearts, we lift up our voices to say thank you in appreciation for such a great salvation, for forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, for life in abundance. We pray that as we go into the Word of God, we might understand your heart even further and we might press into your purposes here upon the earth. That we were created by you and for you and through you, Lord. And nothing in our life means anything outside of you. Outside of you, we're lost and lonely. And we need to be embraced, Lord. Give us the, the fundamental framework, the, the skeletal frame for which you build all things, Lord, in your word. Allow us to know the patterns and the principles that are in your word. That we might live a life that shines bright, that is healthy, not only physically but spiritually, morally, socially, relationally, Lord, that we might be a joy and a feast to those around us, that we might be enthusiastic in God in all matters relating to your promises and fulfillment of your word in our lifetime. Father, allow your word to be a, a seed planted in a good heart, a fertile heart that would give forth the fruit of the purpose of that seed. Thank you for family. Thank you for friends. Thank you, God, that there is fruitfulness and a harvest that glorifies your name. Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ, for men and women who fear the Lord. Thank you for the youth that adhere to you, Lord, and that stand strong in a generation that doubts and denounces you, God. We give you thanks for your principles. We pray, Father God, that they would prevail over all other things in our life, Lord, that we would be strong families in tough times, that we'd stand up and be bold and proclaim the God who called us out of darkness to his wonderful light. Thank you, God, for your instruction. Thank you for delivering us from destruction, God. Thank you that out of ruin, Father God, out of ashes, you cause beauty to arise. And your glory fills the earth like the waters cover the sea, Lord. Prosper your word and your works in our hearts that we might proclaim your joy and your peace and your goodness to all men. We thank you. We praise you. We pray for prosperity and success in all our endeavors and all the works of our hands. We proclaim health and wholesomeness to our bodies as they hear these words, Lord. For you said that a good word is like medicine to the body, Father God. Allow it to minister even to the most basic unit of our cells. Father God, that all things would relate to you and to your purposes. In Jesus' name, we pray for prosperity. Amen and amen. One of the continual verses throughout the richness of the gospel is uh, Genesis 24, 35, and 36. As you read these verses, it brings joy to my heart because it's the fulfillment of God's plan for us that are his faithful sons. And the Lord blessed my master greatly. This is super powerful. These words of a testimony. And, and I want you to be put there as... Uh, this is how your, uh, the people who work for you will talk about you. 
This is how the people will, will, will be able to validate the authenticity of your faithfulness to God. When they say, the Lord God blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. When you line yourself up right with God, everything seems to come at full charge. Why? You've been faithful to be entrusted with much. You were faithful in that which is small, and now God has put you into greater responsibility. And so that is the normal course of our lives. It should have been that you were faithful with the little things. I told my, my sons years ago, you were faithful with the skates when we bought them for you. You were faithful with the skateboard when we bought it for you. You were faithful with the hoverboard when we bought it for you. You were faithful with the bicycle. Now you're ready for the big time. You're getting a car. And you're like, ah, I love my dad. Ah. And it's huge. Why? Because the guy did everything right. So since he did everything right, now he's ready for the prime time, for the big time. And so here, this man is talking about his master. And, and I don't know how to illustrate great, 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 gold and silver. And so the guy's blowing up. And everything's been given to him. Is that, no, it doesn't say that there. Uh, verse 36. He has given them. And Saron, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. Uh, listen, this is, this is my favorite verse. I love this verse. To him, his father has given him all that he has. That's even like everything God had, he gave to Abraham. And because Isaac was so awesome, everything to him, he has given all that he has. Everything that Abraham has, he went, here you go, son, run. It's yours. Everything. And, and this is God's pattern. It has nothing to do with today's preaching, but I just wanted you to hear it. It has nothing to do with today's preaching. But it, it shows a pattern of God. And if you would grasp it, if you would take it in, if you walk in that direction, you become like Abraham who's able, able to bestow, bestow to his son everything he has. How sad is that a father lives so selfishly in his lifetime, God could entrust him to nothing. And then when he turns to his son, he has nothing to give his son because he all lived his life for himself. He was selfish pig his whole life. So he could tell his son, son, here's two hard knocks, knucklehead. He gives him two knocks on the head and good luck because I have nothing to give you. I was a selfish pig. God gave me nothing. He could trust me with nothing. And now I give you everything I have, which is nothing. That, that's the opposite story. That's not to be our story. Our story is to be in pursuit of these high things of God so that, that the expressions of our life are so large. There has to be room for it in our hearts, in our thoughts, before it becomes a reality in our hands and possession. 
And so in order for us to come there, we're talking about this land that God is calling us to. It's called the land of Beulah. The land of Beulah is the land of perfection. This is Jesus showing up and saying, guess what? You're the one I'm in love with. You're the one that loves me. Come on, I'm going to show you what's been provided for our relationship. And he takes into this land and no more that which is in the land. There's no more desolation. There's no more wilderness. There's no more lack of fruit, lack of fruitfulness. There's abundance. There's a paradise. Everywhere you look testifies the fact that you're in right relationship with the right person. And so in this pursuit, God has put things upon the earth we talked about it two weeks ago in the pursuit for purity. Those of you that weren't here, do yourself a, a big benefit in going to find that preaching. What is the pursuit of, uh, of, of purity? What is that challenge to, to be able to live in the land of Beulah? Uh, last week, I thank God while my kidney stone was, was flaring up, Nick, um, on, I think it was on Saturday night, he, he, he let my wife know. He says, tell dad not to worry. I know that he's in pain. I'll take on tomorrow's challenge. He's in the middle of law school. He's in the middle of leading the youth group. And he also takes on Sunday as a responsibility. It's huge. Huge. And so he brings a, an incredible word last week. And uh, that you do, will be a disservice to you not to hear his uh, message of fruitfulness and being who you uh, declare and profess yourself to be with regards to by their fruit, you will know their reality and when there's no fruit, there's just a lot of chutzpah and, and, and a lot of big words and no delivery. I want to speak uh, deep conversations, but they don't have character. And so he, he did an incredible job last Sunday. But the, one of the, the primary illustrations in the entire Bible with respect to coming into God's purpose is this illustration of the marriage relationship. This is why... Uh, live, love, laugh. A lot of people come to marriage saying, this is what's going to make me whole. And it, it is in a certain sense, but not true in the sense that uh, marriage is not about you. That's a, that's a big, when you, when you realize you wake up and you figure out um, that it's not about you. Ma many of the young people after years of saying, Pastor, you don't let me get married. You don't let me get married. You don't let me get married. They get married. And then like within the last, within 24 months of their getting married, they go around saying, why did the pastor let me get married, man? Why did the pastor let me get married? Uh, why did they make it so fast? Why didn't they tell me? Uh, they don't know. And, and, you know, the old proverb says that everybody in a marriage wants to get out. Everybody that's out of a marriage wants to get in. Uh, something's weird. Um, but not knowing the significance of marriage is a problem in our day. Um, and, and it illustrates all over the Bible, you see that marriage is the illustration that most closely uh, tracks us in fulfilling God's calling for us as a people. Uh, to engage our call, to understand God is to... To study the depth of marriage and figure it out and, and foster it. Uh, this relationship was cultivated and conceived not in the heart of man. I was on a TV program once early on when the church first started. They invited me. And um, they, they, they were, there was a panel. There was a panel of experts. And... Um, 
and they, they compiled this panel. And, and my friend was on there from week to week. He was uh, the attorney that would always be the expert talking. And, and he, happened, he happened to get married, and he asked me to go be part of his, of his wedding. And um, that wedding gave rise to them calling me. And they said, look, Monday we have this program on television. They're talking about marriage and I don't know nothing, and since I saw you at this wedding and you were performing it, I want you to come and be the expert. So I went there, and, and one of the uh, members of the panel, one of the experts, says like this. She says, marriage was invented by man to abuse woman. That was it. That was, that was her expertise. Um, and so she would have swore, and she had a date and everything. See, right here on this date... The church enacted the sacrament of marriage to, uh, to overpower the will and the, the strength of women. And I, and I, you know, they said, so Mr. Molina is also here and he claims to be an expert on this topic. And um, he's also a pastor and he'll talk to us. I said, look, ma'am, ma uh, you're going to have to fix that date with respect to when it became a sacrament. Because from the beginning, the first man and woman upon the earth were called Adam and Eve. And it was the first marriage upon the earth. So marriage was not invented by man. It was actually God's design for man and women to be their strongest. And after them came Abraham and Sarah, and they were 6,000 years ago. And then, uh, well, I told them about Noah first, and then became Abraham, Noah and his wife, Abraham and his wife. So marriage has been an institution since the beginning, and it continues to be the very foundation of the expression of God upon the earth with his people. It's something that's birthed in a, I want to say, marriage is spiritual. Marriage is not physical. A lot of people say, I got, they think it's physical. No, it has nothing to do with physical. It's spiritual. And when you spiritually discern the purpose of marriage, you'll begin to see things in God's purpose that are powerful. The Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 5, uh, he says, I want to speak to you concerning a mystery. And this is very, uh, very important because in Bible times, while there's a lot of things that upon the earth were mysteries, the Bible didn't get into many of them because the Bible is out in the open. But when Paul writes these words... Um, I speak to you of this mystery. He's talking about God putting together. Uh, there it is. Verse 32. Ephesians 5.32. This is a great mystery. How many like mystery novels? Mysteries about things unknown. This is a great mystery. And when he's talking about this relationship with a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, he so stops to say this is a great mystery. And in those times, mysteries were things that were uh, unknown to the popular public. They were hidden things. They were secret matters. And you needed to be initiated through a secret society in finding the answer to these ancient secrets. 
And so that, that has become the modern-day reality of marriage, that people cannot figure it out. They're lost. They don't know the secrets. In order to find out the, the, the mystery and the, the key to this, to this relationship, you had to be initiated in this very close society of people that would teach you. They would grab you by the hands, and they would lead you so that you would be able to find out how and what purpose it solved it, it what was the purpose of it um, Malachi chapter 2 verse 13 the Old Testament talking about why men would not prosper he says you guys won't prosper because you have issues in your most in the most intimate of places this is the second thing that you do that has us having a problem you cover my altar, the altar of the Lord, with tears. I have tears over there in my presence with weeping and crying. And this is why he has nothing to do with you anymore. So why would God, to these people that were in religious practice, they were in the temple, they were before the Lord, they were giving their offerings why would God say there's something that precedes your religious and spiritual devotion? Is there something that you should be attending to that's more important than your devotion to God? And he says, nor will I receive any interaction in commerce from you. I don't want a relationship with you unless you precede it with, verse 14, your relationship in marriage. And you say, what reason would God have to break off with our spiritual devotion and our religious practice and our ceremony and me being with God and God being with me? And the Lord says, because I've been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. This one whom you have dealt treacherously with, yet she is your companion and she is your wife by covenant. This is consistent with what Paul writes, no, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, no longer will your prayers be received in heaven. There's one thing that's being a block to you talking with God and God answering to you. And he says, husbands, likewise, make sure that when you live in dwelling with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to a weaker vessel and as a being an heir together, a co-heir of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be restricted. Your spiritual devotion, your religious aspirations are at a standstill until you get your marriage relationship right. And all the men say it. Is it that important? Absolutely. God wants you to be in a place where you're walking in such an accountable degree. In other words, and this is how I've interpreted. If you're not a blessing to the very person who's next to you, who are you going to be a blessing to? If you're not being a refreshing to the person who's supposed to be the reflection of your glory. That's what the Bible says. A wife is a reflection of her husband's glory. The measure of a man's character is the reflection on a wife's countenance. 
I had a Florida State trooper. She comes up to my office. She says, I'm here. I said, well, you're here to get a divorce? She goes, no, I'm not here to get a divorce. I'm here because my boyfriend is married. He's had four marriages. This is his fifth marriage. I will be his sixth marriage, and I'm here to pay for his divorce. And I looked at her. I said, you are a dodo brain. She was coming in to rescue the poor man from his miserable five wives. And she was going to make him happy. No. No. A thousand times no. But we're still in the plight of misunderstanding, of ignorance, of people being lost. And here the relationship that God places in the Old Testament in Malachi, in the New Testament in Peter, is if you do not get things right with your wife, she's the one that God has put you together with to champion life's journey as a co-heir. Everything God has for you comes because you're in right relationship. So that not even your intimate dialogue with God would be affected. And so these are mysteries that need to be resolved. And in order to get there, I, I want to, the very initial foundation of the pursuit of this relationship is found in Genesis 2.24. Uh, as we stand in the challenge of coming to understand God and fulfill his call upon our life, the very first thing we find as a challenge is that for this reason, since God has a game plan and it's in a patterned, principled relationship like marriage, a man must leave his father and mother. That becomes a huge challenge, a huge challenge. That leaving could take a whole lifetime. And after he has left the foundations of this relationship, the next step is to be joined or united or becoming one flesh. This is what, what a full-on spiritual maturity uh, is, is talking about. The only success in marriage is seeing things with one purview, one vision. And so the very frailty of, of that relationship is to have multiplicity of pursuits and, and ideas and challenges and callings and, and, and who do I um, I, I was saying it was, it was so powerful. Remember that the nature of woman, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, I'm going to create a perfect helper. So every time there's something to help with, every time there's a cause, the wife wants to reason. I'm like, put your hand down, Yvette. Put your hand down. Put your hand down. Because she's the perfect helper to everybody at all times in all places. Except... In the direction of God's calling for her life. So one of the things that has this, this, one of the reasons why marriage has suffered so much in the last days is because there are many plights and pursuits in 50 million directions. And it starts often and most because the man has no vision. 
So when a wife meets a man and says, okay, what's the game plan? And he says, well, I don't have any. And then she's like, oh, I have a couple I've been working on. And we can help my dad too. He needs some help. And, and so I'm his daughter and we're going to help my dad. So the, 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 the various multi-expressions of, of endless pursuits of visions is the downfall of this This God-breathed relationship, which requires two, they to become one. Two become one. Two become one. And so that is the call. And that begins the commitment and set the terms in this relationship. And women and men upon the earth are replete with priorities and pursuits of various kinds, levels, statuses, hardships, trials. The whole while, no vision. There's no definite for oneness. There's no definite for oneness. I I want to say that the reason God has been highlighting a strong men last Monday's message and strong women last Wednesday's message, and you figure how do strong men and strong women How do they survive? Because they have one pursuit. They're both on the team to accomplish one purpose, and they both understand purpose and calling. And so the strength of the oneness of a man and the oneness of a woman uh, calls upon children of of a bloodline and a family that has one charge, they, they're solid, they're grounded, they're unfazed, they're unmoved, they're not scatterbrained. They're not all over the place. And so these strong men and strong women that come together to form strong marriages, the, the, the pursuit of that oneness, of that, let's, let's accomplish what God is showing us. Let's be diligent. Um, we, we talked about the mighty men, and, and you, across the generations, what, what is it that defines mighty men? How would you say if you put together a hundred men, what would make them mighty? What, why, would, why would David's men be called mighty men? Well, 1 Chronicles 12.1 says why they were mighty men. Because they all endeavored to help with one vision. This was the highlight. First uh, Chronicles 12 is a whole listing of all the mighty men of David. These, these are the men that I want my nieces to marry. Absolutely. These are, these are the ones I want my daughter to marry. Uh, men that are mighty, uh, not necessarily in earthly pursuit and accomplishment, but it says like this. These were the men who came to David. While he was still running from Saul, Saul was chasing him only because he was pursuing his calling God. They were among the mighty men. Now, when you're talking about mighty men, the next word you have to use is because they have the capacity to help. Help. The opposite of help is helpless. You see these men that show up at your door like a lost puppy and they're wagging their tails and they're like, I'm helpless. Run for your life. If anybody's giving you a guilty pity party mentality of he's poor and lonely and needs you, run for your life. What sets apart a mighty man is that he is helping. He has put his shoulder under somebody's weight of responsibility and he's towing the line. 
He's like, could I help you? No, you can't help me. You crazy? You could jump on my shoulders and I'll carry you too. See, that's a mighty man. He's not a helpless man. He's a resourceful man. He's going to get it done. And that's why they were mighty. They were helpers in time of war. So use that as your description. What are the battles on the forefront of life's challenges? And how are these men raging battle? How are they ungirding their swords and they're, they're at the front lines and you're like, you need help. Wait just wait a second. I'm fighting a battle. I'm too busy. I'm doing something. I'm getting something accomplished. I'm a man of, of war. I'm a man of battle. If you go on to verse 2, it says they were diligent with both hands. They weren't lazy. They were not. They were not. It says they, they were armed with bows. They were pulling those arrows fast and furious. They were like, wow. And, and they would get tired of this. And they swap hands. And they start going with the right hand. They're left-handed. They're right-handed. They're hurling stones with slings. They're shooting arrows with the bow. These guys have their hand in the mix. And so every time I meet a man, and, and it's hilarious because they'll come into my offices there. I just, I just don't know what to do in life. And nothing seems to be working. I go, no, your hands are not working. If you get your hands to, to, to work. So no, because I get cramps. Like I got this awful cramp. I think I have, what's that called, carpal tunnel syndrome. Do you type right? No, I don't type right. But I scratch my belly. All day long, scratching my belly. I'm like, listen, why don't you go paint a house? I'm allergic to the chemicals, Pastor. I'm allergic to the chemicals. I'm like, oh. I go, go and cut a lawn. Do some landscaping. Grab Oscar Montané and cut 50. I hate the sound, the vibrating sound of the metal. The weeder hurts my ears. He says, listen to me. Do me a favor. Go to a library. It's silent, but work. Go to the library. He says, I hate silence, Pastor. It's like killing me the silence kills me i'm like look do me a favor ask god to kill you <laughs> do something you've seen last night we went out to, and this poor woman she works at an ice cream parlor she's been scooping ice cream all day it's just scooping ice cream it's like bow down and scoop ice cream her arm is frozen it has frostbite she's scooping ice cream she comes out and there her husband he looked like he just came from a gym he's like <sighs> and he's with the three little ones and the girl's like that he's like she goes honey she goes well i'm so glad to see you guys the kids want ice cream. <laughs> the kids want ice cream. She goes, he goes, yeah, I want ice cream too. There's four of us want ice cream. You've been doing ice cream all day. We want ice cream. So you don't work. I'm working on ice cream. I just, man, I'm going to pay $6. You know, I'm going to nothing. And she goes, no, let's go home. I'll give you ice cream at home. Deadbeat men. Deadbeat helpless men. These, are, these sometimes my nieces want to help these guys. No, we're not helping these guys. These guys need to be working their right hand, their left hand, their right foot, their left foot. They'll be chewing. They'll be doing something. <laughs> Diligent to fight with both hands. 
formation of strong families, to have strong wives, to have strong children. Listen to the description of these men. You know, if it's in the Bible, it's ours. It's for our pursuit. Verse 14 says like this. First Chronicles 12, 14 says, These men, one of them, of the sons of Gad, he was a captain, a leader. He was as good as a hundred men. He did the labors of a hundred men. He commanded a hundred men to follow his lead into battle. In the old days, if you wanted to come and ask a man for his daughter, the man would say, look, do me a favor. Go and kill a dragon. And when you kill a dragon, you bring his head in a fiery breathing dragon. And now show me you're courageous enough to marry my daughter. Today, they won't even go get an iguana. <laughs> like, I know. He wags his tail, Pastor. He wags his tail. He looks at me. <laughs> These are the men you're giving your daughters to? These are the men that God wants to change the world with. <laughs> Honey, what are you going to do for a living? Honey, what are you going to do for a living? I had a multi-million dollar man. It was like millions upon millions of dollars. He says, hey, listen to me. I'm going to get a large inheritance from my dad in a couple years. What are you going to do for a living? She says, I'm going to go get five boyfriends. How about that? You're going to be a loser? I'm going to go try and find a real man. A man who's going to fight the battles of the Lord. A man who won was as equal to 100. And he says those were the small, wimpy guys. One was equal to 100. The greatest of these men was like having a 1,000 men in your, on your team. The delivery uh, the substance of having a thousand men's present, the greatest of these leaders was over a thousand men, was equal to a thousand men, leading these men up. Uh, these men carried responsibility way above just the average person's responsibility. They were taking care of several of the men in their charge towards a plight and a vision. You could not these men could not be men that were distracted and disoriented and men that were confused and chaotic because they would send a hundred men to be ambushed to this side, another hundred to be ambushed on that side. They couldn't be men that weren't clear in their voice and in their confidence to command these other men and their troops. Verse 17, this is how David would greet these men. He says, nice and welcome, and I'm glad you've come out here to be part of our team. I'm super glad that you finally wanted to man up and stand where you need to stand as a man. And he would say to them, if you have come because you want to knit your hearts together with the vision God has called me to, to help me. And my heart will be united to you. If, if you have come with an agreement to help, then my heart will be united with you. But if you've come to set my heart contrary to my devotion and my pursuit that God has given me to crush my enemies, since there is nothing I'm doing to hurt you, I haven't called you to come here. You have come here of your own. Then may the God of our fathers look down upon you and 
curse your very existence. Let the judgment of God come upon your head that you come saying one thing, but that your heart is in another matter. That you come saying you're here to unite, but you do nothing to unite. You divide. You cause chaos. You cause confusion. The, the men cannot follow your lead because you're all over the place. And so now we see why God is calling these people into the marriage where the two shall be one. And so these men filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 18 would respond. And I thank God for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit for the New Testament. In the Old Testament, this man, the Spirit came upon Amasai. He was the chief, a leader of leaders, and said, we, are, we belong to you, David. We're on the team. We're on your side, son of Jesse. We know where you've come from and where you're going. We know the call of God upon your life. We are on your side. Peace, peace to you. Peace be your helpers. Those that come and, and are part of the team for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captain of their troops. All this to say that it's the same manner in which a husband marries a wife and she's ready to help him in every course, but he has no direction. He has no purpose. He's not convicted about anything. He doesn't even know the color socks he wants to wear in the morning. He's all over the place because there's not unity. There's not a vision. There's not any, any committed purpose in his life. So these are the sons that are bred by these men. First Chronicles 12.32, the sons of Issachar are the offsprings to these strong men. Strong men with united efforts and vision produce sons. And look what it says, the sons of Issachar who understood the times. There's people all over the world missing the times. They knew the times, and because they knew the times, they knew what God's people ought to do. They were under 200 leaders. How could somebody be under so many leaders? And you see it in the body of Christ, there's leadership in the kingdom all over the place, and we're under these great men of God, and because we are under these great men of God, there are men, all their brethren were at their command. Because we're under authority, we understand the responsibility of authority. This is the dynamic of this unit of men. And then you see they were all ready to, verse 38, they were all prepared to go to battle. All these men were ready to help, to take charge, to keep ranks. And they came to meet with David in Ebron with a loyal heart. I want to say something because this is foundational for what we're teaching. That at church, we see this little peak called the tip of the iceberg. If you go to the cold waters up north, you'll have these huge bodies of solid ice called iceberg. And they'll, at the top, only like 2%, 1% pop out their head. And so you can never see the reality of what's under the water because it's under the water. It's, it's being hidden. Church, since we only meet three times a week, is only the tip of the iceberg 
of these men's characters. When they miss church, when they don't show up to their responsibility, when they don't take responsibility, I, I said, there's no problem. This is just a little bit of what the wife and the children see at home, what the boss sees at work. I, I, we don't see these things here in public view in our time of worship. We see irresponsible men. We see lazy men. We see withdrawn men. But that's just a little tip. Now you add a thousand and then under that huge body of water that nobody sees, under the crevices and the surfaces of the water lies this huge, giant, oblivion nathos. Nothing. A guy who's doing nothing in this world, the most minimal effort to squeeze by. And so these men of war, they knew how to keep their ranks. They were loyal in their hearts with David over all Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to follow God's call to make David king in this place to make Jesus the king over all the earth. That's our plight. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I hear about men doing great big things upon the earth. And when I talk to him, I says, look, if this does not involve putting Jesus on the throne of this earth, you're wasting your time. You're going to lose everything you're moving for. I love the rejoicing that takes place in verse 40 because it says that this oneness of activity where everybody, it says, moreover, those who were near to them... As near and as far as Issachar and Sebulun, Naphtali, were bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules. We heard about this in Abigail on Wednesday. Abigail, she loaded up donkeys to feed 200 men that were going to destroy her husband and her family and her camp. And one woman who was in tune with God moved and delivered her foolish husband and all his possessions these men were bringing food they were bringing uh, camels mules oxen provisions flowers cakes figs raisins wine and oil oxen and sheep say with me abundantly for there was joy in Israel you imagine that and, and I rejoice I, I, I was talking this morning to a young couple I was saying I am so overwhelmed with joy when I see George Smith and Natasha when, when I see that these people who had no hope on the landscape ever to bring two little girls into their home and and to see the joy and the peace and the the advance you know provisions of a father's house where Jesus has given them one vision one calling one purpose as a marriage. And, and so they shine like lights in our generation. It's like, who are these people? Where did they come from? How did they learn how to do this? Uh, remember the first day George showed up on the scene. It was the first Monday night. And a friend brought him. And he says, you just said something that, that I'm not to move in with my girlfriend. Me and Natasha are about to move in. A boyfriend and girlfriend. We're going to live together because we need financially. We're going through hardships. And you said not to. Could you explain that to me? And so I explained it to him. He goes, hey, Natasha, we're not moving in. We're going to do things right so they come out right. Amen. You know, that doesn't exist in our day. It doesn't exist because a, a witch would have said, oh, we're not going to do it. We're not going back to that place. Look, a wise woman says, if you learn how to do it right, if you're going to take responsibility, let's do it right. And today, it hasn't been many years later, 
I don't think it's even been six years, but they're living a dream upon the earth. They're enjoying their family. They're bringing these girls into what they enjoy with one vision and one unity. So these men that learn how to bring their hearts to be loyal, to be helpers, are the same thing that happens in the life of a woman who knows how to keep the unity and, and, and that oneness in our home. In Genesis 24, we see the whole, and, and you read it at home, but I'm just going to highlight it real quick, that, that Abraham in his old age, verse 1, sends his servant. He says, and Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So the guy is well advanced in everything he has, and now he needs to do one thing. And that one thing is, who will I bring to marry my son Isaac? Who will be this woman who qualifies to help my son with everything that he has on his hands? In verse 2 he says, And he said unto his eldest servant of his household that ruled over all that he had, Put you, pray thee, your hand under my thigh, and make this oath. Verse 3, I will make you swear by the God of heaven and the God of earth that you shall not take a wife unto my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, Uh, The first thing that the ungodly women did to the children of Israel. See, the children of Israel had the calling to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. Their lineage would bring forth the Messiah. So they had to be concentrating. Okay, we need godly women in here because here comes Jesus. He's going to establish his kingdom. It has to be godly women. It can't be women who lead their men after other pursuits. It can't be a woman that's going to sidetrack you off into some other charge or vision. And so they had to be, he says, do not take my son to the daughters of the Canaanites. Make sure that they are, they are um, they're, they're godly women. Verse 4, but they go to my country, to my kindred, take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the sons was the servant, verse 5, was, was worried. What if the woman's not willing to follow me? Man, they had a reputation back in those days. Women are not going to follow no man. If you want to get on their game pan, you got to follow them. You, you jump on their broom with them. Broom? Yeah, broom, broom, broom. You don't jump on no broom. You're not following the witch anywhere. Let her take off to see Oz. La La Land, but not Beulah, not the land of Beulah. The land of Beulah is a woman ready to tell you, your God shall be my God. Your people will be my people. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you go, I will follow. Your people will be my people. And and this is the quality of the woman that he chooses for Isaac. And you'll see in that story that as he approaches that damsel and he begins to speak to her, and she, she is able to, to say, hey, you know something? I'm not a part of myself. I'm a part of a family. I have a father. I have brothers. We have a family unit. Come, come and speak to the men. Aren't you a man? Come and speak to the men. And, and get on the same line as the men in my house. Get in the same plight. Pursue the same purpose. And so he's able on many fronts to ask God. In verse 12, he says, O God, my master of Abraham, I pray thee, send me good blessing so I might be diligent this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. 
And so he sat, sits right there next to a well of water, and all the daughters of the men come out of the city. They're all paying attention to themselves. They're all focused on themselves. But there's one woman that says, I will give you to drink and your ten camels to drink. I'm not a lazy woman. I've come to refresh. I've come to be known by my service. I have come to delight myself in the reputation of my father and my father's house. And so verse 18, she said, drink, my Lord. And she hastened and let down her pitcher upon her head. And then she said, verse 19, and when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also. And they haven't done drinking until they're done drinking. Just a ton of work that's in this woman's life to align up herself to come into relationship. Now, I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story, but they go home and they discuss how they are going to address this relationship. And now she's ready and she jumps on to go meet her husband. And I want to finish the story in verse 64 because this is no doubt a love story. And Rebecca lifted her eyes and when she saw Isaac, it's like when Yvette saw me for the first time. Wait, wait, give us a moment here. Give us some feel. Give us some feel. You imagine Yvette turns around and she sees her prince. Wow. Or her dad always told her. Right, Josely? Yeah. What to look out for. It's just the presence. She's like, I feel the presence. She gets off and she sees Isaac. And when she saw Isaac, she jumped off. Yvette jumped off the monkey bars. She was over there by the monkey bars playing the swings. She's like, no more swings. She jumps off her camel, dismounts. How, how many, is the woman that you're asking to come and follow you dismounting? All her reputation, all her profession, all her accolades, all that is crap. Compared to being your wife, to carry your name, to carry your legacy. So I would knock on Yvette's door. I'm here to make you the mother of my children. I wonder how they say that when they tell the story in heaven. Am I going to get in trouble? Verse 65. For she said unto the servant, well, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? Man, I'm attracted to this guy. I'm ready to become nothing that I am and everything he is. Not what he hopes to be and what his, his, his fancies in the air. Everything he is. I imagine Isaac was like walking around like a prince waiting to bestow. I, I think this is like Jesus waiting for his wife. Waiting for those, waiting and say, you know something? I hate everything that's upon the earth. I hate any calling that's upon the earth. I want to be the bride of Christ above all things. I want to walk into the land of Beulah. I want to be his fairest amongst 10,000. His only one. And the servant said, it is my master. It is my master. Stand. 
Verse 66, the servant told Isaac all things in his journey. All these things that require a connect. I say, I'm leaving my father's house. I'm leaving the place I was raised up. And then the, the, the call to follow the unity, the vision. And the travesty of our day is that men without vision have no hypes. The, the only vision they have is the glory of this world. Alex Baez says, living in Coral Gables, driving a Mercedes Benz, and going to Punta Cana. <laughs> Woo! Really? That's your highlight? No, 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 no. It's way, way above. Father, we thank you this day that our call is to become one with you, to know you, to honor you, to love you, to give you our best. And what the travesty of this world is that there's so much pursuit of superficial frailties, of fashions, of personal passions that have nothing to do with you. Give the single men in this church a solid vision to share with their wives and with their sons and daughters. Make us the families upon the earth, Lord, that have chosen the better things. Give us your spirit to discern when we're off track and when we're overwhelmed and full of turbulence on every side. Give us stillness and calm in the middle of the storm to be loved by you and to love you. Nothing in this world do I desire in your presence, oh God. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for strong men and strong women that help this to become a reality. Thank you that when our sons are married, they already have a passion and a relentless pursuit of your pleasure. Join them to godly men and women. who will make them strong in this charge. And that we might be a blessing to all the families on the earth as you continue to open the heavens and fill us with the abundance of your goodness, Lord. Bless the families in this church. Bless the men. Give them resolve to be faithful to the vision you've given us to change the world. Thank you for the offspring of mighty sons and daughters in this house that fear nothing, Lord, but God and stand to inherit all wealth and riches, joy and peace as we worship you and we wait for your return.
In Jesus' name, we pray in the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Greet the Spanish congregation as you go out today. Give them a hug and a welcome to the Spring of Life family.